0: Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. Hi, listeners. Jessica here. We recorded this episode before Chancellor Olaf Schulz from Germany's recent, quite historic announcement that Germany will actually be sending the Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine and will also agree for others to do so. This episode dives into the drivers behind this kind of pattern of deliberation and hesitation that we seem to have seen. On the German side since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine and that we saw also in this case with the sending of leopard tanks. I found this discussion of some of the drivers behind the way in which Germany has been operating really fascinating and I hope that you find it interesting as well. I'm Jessica Gunawa, a Senior Lecturer in International Relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Bastian Brinkman. Bastian is a journalist and Deputy Head of the Economics Department of the Süddeutsche Zeitung, and I'm looking forward to having a discussion on the podcast today about Germany's position vis-a-vis Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Bastian. Thanks for having me. After Russia's Full scale invasion of Ukraine in February last year, we saw quite a lot of focus on what was thought to be a kind of a reset or a turning point in terms of Germany's defense policy, defense spending. Do you think that we will look back on 2022 as a year in which there was this real turning point in the way in which Germany deals with defense issues? Or do you think that that shift has been somewhat overstated?
1: I'll give you two perspectives, because I think both things are true at the same time. If you look back two years, nobody would have predicted the steps that Germany took in its defense policy. For example, armed drones. German politicians were arguing and arguing and arguing for years uh, whether we should get armed drones or if that would add too much heat into battlefields. A majority of politicians in charge were opposed, so it never went anywhere. And now we have armed drones. That was a rapid development, unforeseen. The other perspective, on the other hand, is that there's still a lot of work to do when you ask the security and defense experts, because they all say, look at Germany's defense policy today. It's still in baby steps when it comes to, for example, the UK, the US or the French defense policy. It's still far away.
0: Yeah, so alongside these quite radical shifts for Germany in some ways in terms of defence spending and being willing to supply weapons to a state that is at war, we've also seen that a lot of the decisions around that have been taken in quite a slow, cautious way with quite a lot of deliberation and even hesitation over each step. Most recently we've seen that with the supply of leopard tanks what factors do you think account for this pattern of hesitation?
1: It's totally true that this hesitation was there from the first day of the war. Um, it all started with RPGs, anti tank weapons that the Dutch wanted to give to the Ukrainians. And these uh, weapons, called Panzerfaust in German, are made in Germany. And so the Dutch had to ask the German government if they were allowed to give it to the Ukrainians to defend themselves in February last year. And initially, the German government was not on board. And on the evening before the famous Zeitenwender speech by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, where he said, this is a watershed moment for... Germany and probably the world. Germany allowed the Netherlands to uh, export these uh, anti-tank RPGs. But before that, there was a lot of debate, like we're seeing again with these tanks, these leopards today. And for each additional uh, step in weapon delivery, there was the same debate all over again. I think there are three main drivers from German domestic policies. First, the public opinion is more or less always split on these weapons exports. Of course, in some polls, the one group is ahead. another another polls, the other group is ahead, uh, depending on framing and current political climate. But more or less, the two camps are of the same size. And the party, we have a coalition government made up of three parties. And the main party, the chancellor's party, the Social Democrats, SPD, they are the ones who are most hesitant. So the chancellor, and being very hesitant, just follows his voters. That makes sense for him. Secondly, is a historical reason, Germany, of course, with all its history in World War II, Germans, many Germans uh, really don't want to see German weapons being fired against Russian weapons. A German tank seen opposite of a Russian tank firing at a Russian tank, destroying a Russian tank and killing Russians... This would send these pictures would send tremendous horrors in through the German public because for decades the German discourse was never again, never again major world war, never again uh, a genocide, and of course, never again fighting the Russians. In fact, in historical terms, the war in Eastern Europe was not against Russia on its own. Germans killed a lot of Ukrainians, for example, but many Germans see it more as as a Russian thing when it comes to this history. And the third aspect that also moves the chancellor, probably, I can't read his mind, but he stated this one explicitly as well, he's afraid. There's some real German angst there, because Germany is not used to fighting wars. Germany is a very pacifist society, again, for historical reasons, uh, pretty obvious. And now Many Germans are afraid that Putin will escalate this war once we step over a red line. Nobody knows where this red line is and it was moved step by step, but this probably explains why it started with RPGs and we are now talking about the most heavy tanks that Germany has produced. But Germans are really afraid that Russia will in turn attack Germany or sabotage something or even will drop a nuclear bomb on Berlin. There's real talk that people... In the chancellery and ordinary Germans are afraid of a nuclear bomb from Russia. And this is also something that the chancellor takes serious and takes into account.
0: Yep. But as you mentioned, German society is somewhat split down the middle, which partly accounts for this deliberation and hesitation on this issue. So I'm wondering, what are the main forces or the key constituency that are supportive of Germany stepping away from its past and leading in terms of supplying Ukraine with the weapons it needs.
1: That's a very interesting constituency because it's the main driver in the current coalition government is the Green Party and its voters. And the German Green Party, its historical origins, a very pacifist society coming up in the 80s against NATO, they more or less put it in very simple, oversimplifying terms. They wanted Germany to get out of NATO, uh, no weapons at all, just a pacifist society. And that's it. And that was during the Cold War years. But that was a stance that the Greens took. Over the decades, they evolved. And now they are voters. And the party is the one really pushing um, for arms exports. We had in the run-up to the latest election, the two party heads of the Green parties were One of them was visiting Ukraine and calling for more arms. The other one was calling out the Russian gas exports to Germany, that uh, Germany shouldn't do that much business with a corrupt authoritarian regime like Russia, who behaves aggressively on the international stage. This was already very explicit um, in the run-up for them. They didn't have to change their policy that much. But they still have members in the party, of course, older ones who grew up with this anti-war rhetoric, with this pacifist stance against all weapons. But most of them came around and they are now really the driver of this arms exports.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess watching German domestic politics over recent years, Chancellor Olaf Scholz has really only been in that position for relatively a very short period of time, just a little more than a year. And before that, we had Chancellor Angela Merkel, who was Chancellor for many years. I can't help wondering about the counterfactual, if Angela Merkel had have still been Chancellor whilst obviously during her time as chancellor, she did pursue close economic ties with Russia. But at the same time, there were moments where it seemed as though she was willing to make quite bold about turns or take daring decisions when it was required. Do you think we would have maybe seen a different outcome under Angela Merkel than we've seen with Olaf Schultz?
1: That's a great question. Let's speculate a little bit. Angela Merkel record when it comes to Russia is not as good as it looked at the time, probably. She got Germany on the hook with Russian gas. She did not arm Germany as it should be. I talked to Angela Merkel's former head of defense and security policy, and he had to concede that Germany basically, for example, has no air defense. Germany can't more or less defend itself against Anybody flying with drones or planes towards Germany and wants to attack it, there's nothing we can do. And this is just a major policy failure that many people in the former government now admit to. Angela Merkel herself personally thinks probably, I also can't read her mind, but she hinted that she thinks that Putin is maybe not afraid of her, but respects her. I'm not so sure personally. because because of her track record, which does not look that great when it comes to Russia. For example, she was in charge of the Minsk agreements, and she is still very proud of them and defends them. The Minsk agreement is the one that came after the annexation of Crimea and the Russian aggression uh, on the eastern flank of Ukraine. And many people now say that this agreement boxed Kiev in and didn't leave them any wiggle room, and also did give Russia the upper hand now when they started the full-scale invasion in February 2022. So if Ukraine policy in 2023 would be made by Merkel, this probably going with the base case scenario would be a Minsk-3 agreement. And there are not many foreign policies who are as disliked as the Minsk agreements in Ukraine. And I think the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian government has the tightest grip on what's going on in Ukraine right now. So following their lead and their judgment, I'm not so confident that German Chancellor Angela Merkel in 2023 would have done as much more. But she has a history of flip-flopping her policies. So there was always room for surprise. Olaf Scholz is a very steady character. On the other hand, he doesn't like surprises and there are no surprises with him.
0: hmm I mean, you mentioned there also under Angela Merkel, there was those close economic ties that were created with Russia. We had the building of Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline to take gas from Russia to Germany and then also the Nord Stream 2, a lot of those things developed after Russia's annexation of Crimea and those first kind of territorial incursions into Ukraine. How was that perceived, If that sort of increasing closeness with Russia economically, even after those incursions into Ukraine?
1: Many Germans liked that Germany was so much in business with Russia, and Germans' companies liked it a lot. This is also for historical reasons, going back to the Cold War. Then the Russian export of gas started and German companies started to look at Russia as a potential market. And after the wall came down in Berlin and uh, Russia opened itself up to the world to a certain extent, German companies were very happy to do a lot of business with Russia, although it was at the time also a corrupt uh, authoritarian state but many people had hopes that the market economy will drive Russia uh, to be a respected member of the so called Western community. And the German political scene, as well as the business scene, worked hand in hand to apply a policy that is called change through trade, Wandel durch Handel in German, which means that if we trade with a nation, they become a better actor on the international stage. will respect human rights more, and so on. Many, many people believe that this is true while making billions and billions in profits. Now, when you look at whether this policy succeeded or not, it turns out only profits were made and no progress when it comes to democratic values, liberty, civil rights, and so on. But... This policy was very entrenched uh, in the German public and in businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think that there are lessons for Germany's economic approach or approach to trade that will come out of this war?
1: When it comes to Russia, many businesses now change their perspective, but many also have not that much. If you look at how German companies exited Russia, usually they left behind a little footprint, only a little shell company, for example, but that would help them to snap back into business mode once the political arena makes it possible to do so. Unlike many U.S. companies, they didn't leave the country for good. They wanted to stay behind at least a little bit or are still producing in the country or exporting to them still today. And so there's still, from my perspective, a lot of lessons to be learned. For many businesses, they have to let go. They have to pay, let's call it a security premium. So accept less profits. There's a real income loss that Germans suffer due to this war, because this cheap energy from Russia is gone. And I think it's More or less gone for good. Although you know, never, never know what will be in one hundred years. But for the foreseeable future, but many Germans don't believe so uh, and think there might be a way back. And with the same hesitation is now applied to China because that is the second economy that German businesses really turned to and really got hooked on. Even more, Russia, when it comes to GDP terms, is not that important for the German economy. China is. Uh, Russia was important for the identity, Germany as the country in the heart of Europe, between East and West, independent of the US, doing their own economic policy. That was also very important for this move towards East. And the same forces apply when it comes to China. Many Germans don't want to do trade only within Europe and the US, but also want to do business with China to be, quote unquote, independent from from the US. That's also a main point. Although when you look at GDP terms, of course, Europe, the European Union and the US are very important. Then China is as well, no doubt about that. The German government now wants to outline a new China strategy. And the main point will be a stress test for companies that they have to prove that they can leave China if the Political situation demands it, and we will see how that plays out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So finally, I want to ask you about what you see for the coming year. So we've very recently just had a change of defense minister in Germany to Boris Pistorius. What do you think we're going to see in 2023 from Germany's position towards the war in Ukraine, towards supplying Ukraine with weapons, towards these kind of ongoing issues that we've been dealing with?
1: I expect a lot of continuity when it comes to the German policy towards Ukraine. The new defence minister is from the Social Democratic Party, SPD, the same as uh, his predecessor and the same as Olaf Scholz, the chancellor. His predecessor was uh, Olaf Scholz loyalist, uh, unfamiliar with defence policy and probably in oversimplifying terms only put there because she was a loyalist. The new defense minister is, I believe, in his 60s. So this is more or less his last step on his political career. And he is not seen as, as only being promoted because he's a loyalist. So this might give him some political wiggle room. But exporting tanks is, in the end, always decided in the chancellery.
0: Well, thanks, Bastian. I appreciate you unpacking these issues with me on the podcast today. I've found it really interesting. Thanks for the discussion.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening and thanks to Gonca Varol for our theme music.